Hi folks, this is E.C. McKinley and I'm with my daughter who is the lead pastor of the Spring Street Church of God of Prophecy at 1001 West Spring Street in Lebanon, Tennessee. I just retired a few weeks ago and one of the goals that we've had for some time is to do a podcast together. I represent the older generation of ministers and Pastor Lindsay represents the younger upcoming ministers, and we want to talk uh, with you about some very vital subjects for people who are in ministry, but in fact, they could apply to everyone, not just ministers. I learned as I served as a state bishop or a presiding bishop over a total of seven states, and when I was doing this work, I came across every kind of a problem that you could imagine that a church or a church leader would find themselves involved in. I had an endless supply of people sending information about how to help us do this, that, or the other. <laughs> and I realized that there's nothing like just plain experience to speak to a subject and then bring in the perspective of a younger generation. So, Pastor Lindsay, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the plug for the church. Appreciate that, too. Well, I'm going to do that. Uh, I was recently appointed the outreach pastor at that same church. So um, as we begin our study today, one of the things that I have seen increasing, it's always been a part of life to the church, but uh, something that has been on, on the rise and uh, probably more so today than when I started in ministry in 1983, and that's on the subject of depression. Mm -hmm. And I have found back when I started, Lindsay, that um, that was not a subject that we spoke about openly. Neither did the leaders speak openly to their uh, uh, to those who they were serving as their bishop. And I wondered, you as a pastor, you probably see plenty of that today, don't you? Yeah. Definitely. I think, well, I was a youth pastor for, I guess, um, a total of seven years before I was a senior pastor. I started pastoring February of 2020. So Right in the middle of COVID. Yeah. I, I was I was a pastoring a month when COVID shutdown started. And so, obviously, that was a time, I think, depression uh, took over a lot of people in, in our country and in the world in that time. And so, I've certainly seen it. Um, first, as a youth pastor, just dealing with young people as they're going through their, the stuff that uh, people don't understand how much young people are really facing. And then with COVID came death, came a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, um, just the solitude, the, the separation from one another. And so I think I started pastoring right at a time when those feelings were really on the rise anyways. And then I think, not I think, I know, um, I know that because of the type of ministry that I've had, I've been very honest about my issues and about the struggles that I've had. And because of that, because I'm honest about them, I've sort of attracted a lot of people with those issues uh, that will come to me. You know, I get messages nonstop. People are reaching out, calling, texting, uh, filling my inbox and, and saying, I don't feel like I can talk to anybody. I've been sitting in church for 20 or 30 years and I can't talk to anybody, mm -hmm. which is to me, a sad indictment on the church. I think that says a whole lot more about the church than it says about the person who's struggling and who's suffering, that, that they're struggling to find someone to talk to. Mm -hmm. um, but I certainly, I know it, it's rampant 
in churches, mm -hmm. we just maybe don't always see it because people have felt like there's no one to talk to about it or they've been judged or um, I, I've had people come into my ministry, the way they found their way to me was that um, they were in a church where the pastor said they were a sinner if they were depressed or mm -hmm. told them it was a sin to take the medicine they needed or, or whatever the thing was, and that's how they found their way to me. So right. I think I, I don't know what the average pastor is experiencing, but I know for me I'm inundated all the time with people with these struggles. I think it's intergenerational. It's not just the COVID generation mm -hmm. that has dealt with this. I remember way back when I started that there were people that had depression and they would come to me for counseling. Mm -hmm. And folks, they would they would say, um, what do I do, Pastor? I can't seem to get past this. And mm -hmm. it, it, the pat answer was always, well, you need to pray more. Well, you need yeah. to fast more. You need to get into the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And listen, you do need to do all those three things. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I would say to them, have you spoken to your doctor about this? Right. Um, have you uh, have you asked them about your depression and uh, what they would recommend? Mm -hmm. And uh, many times the answer would be no, because my doctor is going to recommend I take some medication yeah. for that. And and I would always ask them, well, why in the world would you not uh, take your doctor's opinion? You take it for everything else. And uh, they'd say, well, because it's just it's embarrassing. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to tell anyone. Well, you don't have to tell anyone what medication that you're on. But I would say to them, if you're, uh, you suddenly were diagnosed with diabetes, would you take insulin to stay alive? And in every case, they said yes. And my answer was always, well, how different is that mm -hmm. than taking a medication because your brain is not... Uh, producing the proper chemicals it needs mm -hmm. to produce. Or maybe you are a, a survivor of, a, of some traumatic experience going all the way back to your childhood. And, and there was, in, in, in general, there was a distrust of the medical field. And uh, that played over into the church. And I have seen people suffer, uh, uh, and especially with COVID coming mm -hmm. full circle, um, the elderly really seemed to get depressed because they were staying home, they were not mm -hmm. having church, they were not having the daily interactions that they needed yeah. with people. We need each other. And when you did speak, you had a mask on, mm -hmm. so you couldn't, uh, you couldn't read their whole facial expression mm -hmm. when they spoke with you. Yeah. And I would imagine, now I don't know, you could answer for this better than me, but I would imagine something I, that I, I thought was a really sad outcome from the pandemic was I saw a lot of uh, really wonderful and experienced ministers lead the ministry because yes. they felt like we were forced to interact in the new way that they, they felt like they couldn't catch up. Yeah. And they felt like, and I mean, I'm, I started pastoring at, at 33 and all of a sudden I had to become an internet pastor and I didn't want to be. I never mm -hmm. wanted to record myself. And um, I saw a lot of older ministers that sort of got lost in that transition. And so I'm wondering if part of why a certain generation struggled more with that less lack of connectivity is because the younger people, they found other ways to connect. Yeah. It wasn't the same, but if I needed to have a meeting with somebody, I, okay, let's get on a Zoom call, um, you know, or we would watch videos and stuff like that. Do you think part of it was that the older generation 
they didn't know how to do some of oh, that, so they got absolutely. left behind. Absolutely. And what happened, God was presenting the church with a wonderful opportunity uh, for the older to work with the younger. Yeah. And and like you said, I've, I saw pastors, they, they tendered their resignation to me mm -hmm. and left before their commitment mm -hmm. uh, to pastor a church uh, because they just, they said, well, I'm just not into this. I don't even have a, a Facebook or a YouTube account mm -hmm. and, and I'm just too old to learn that. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm, I'm 68 years old. I'm still learning and I intend to learn, but it was an opportunity God mm -hmm. uh, dropped on us for the youth mm -hmm. and the older people to work together in putting the mes message of the gospel yeah. out. It was and, an important thing. Yeah, and I, I think churches that rose to that occasion, you could tell it and others you can tell that too, and that's really sad. Yeah. And many of those that rose to the occasion, they continue to have that ministry to this day. Right. Well, yeah, and I mean, I I know for us, like I said, I didn't want to be on the internet, but it it forced us to um, to start recording something I didn't want to do. It forced us to start with online giving, something that people in the church were very hesitant, but has been a massive blessing right. for our local church. So you can see where God used it. I always think about persecution in the early church in the book of Acts. It had to happen for them to be scattered because Jesus said, you're going to go, you know, we, we kind of flippantly say, you know, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and we skip over the fact of why in God's name would we go to Samaria? Right. They didn't want to go to right. Samaria, but they had to end up there because of persecution. They didn't like Samaritans. Right. Yeah. So they had to do something they did not want to do. They would have never chosen to do but the environment forced them to. And so COVID, in, in some ways, I think, I think what you're saying is true in that we were forced to do this stuff we weren't really interested in doing. But I know in, in our church and in my ministry, things really took off in a way I wasn't expecting right. um, by any means. Um, but, but I just kind of wonder if that's part of that depression that happened with COVID was people were disconnected and they didn't know how. And in some ways, we sort of treated a generation like it's okay that you got left behind. Right. That's fine. Now, for me, on the other side of maybe the spectrum, I talk a lot with young women um, who are struggling, uh, who are moms maybe, or, you know, they have young children. Um, you see a lot of women with, you talk, talk about people with something in their past. You see a lot of young women with, they have post-traumatic stress disorder and they don't know it. Right. When we hear PTSD, your mind goes to the military. Right. But I know so many women, they've been through sexual assaults. Mm -hmm. They've been through other types of abuse. Um, and sometimes even the choices that they made, right. that can all cause that. Sure. But it's often not correctly diagnosed. And so you end up with people who have issues and they don't even know that they do. Right. Well, do you think, you were talking about people who, they're closed off to the idea of getting medicine or getting the diagnosis that they need. Um, what do you think it is? We are a church. We believe in divine healing. Yes, we do. It's one of our tenets of faith. I know God. God can heal. God God healed me. I, I was able to get rid of my anxiety medicine. Mm -hmm. um, God healed me of that in an instant, in a moment, and it was wonderful. I have never once told somebody, go throw your medicine away. Right. Um, but for me, it was something I was able to not need anymore. God's healed you right. um, from a cancer diagnosis. Right. Now, he worked through doctors, right. but it was still the hand of God that did it. Well, all knowledge comes from God. Right. So what do you think is the reason why 
this is still the holdout for Christians that they just can't wrap their... Most Christians, like you said, I don't know, I personally don't know any Christian who would say to somebody, well, you have cancer because you don't have enough faith. Right. Why are you getting chemo? You need just to have faith. Right. I don't know anybody would say that, but people are still, it shocks me still, will readily say, if you had enough faith, you would not have depression. Well, absolutely. And I think one of the, fun, one of the funniest things about when I went through this uh, battle with cancer, and I, I am a cancer survivor, I'm an overcomer, and uh, one of the things that, uh, that when you speak about it in that way, the people who would declare that if you had enough faith, mm -hmm. you wouldn't have to have medical treatment, mm -hmm. or if you trusted God enough, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't go to the doctors. Well, I've lived long enough to see those same people, when something happened to them, they headed straight to the emergency room, same medicines, yeah. same doctors, you know, in in a sense, and um, but but they were they were quickly shown to be hypocrites about the f faith that they had, mm -hmm. uh, s simply because it's okay for it to to condemn you for that, right. but it's not okay to say anything to me for that, and I think that's what you have to remember, mm -hmm. and and I believe that uh, I, I I do want to say one other thing, and then I want us to get to a scripture. Mm -hmm. that I believe that you have some great insight on, and, and it's this. Um, when, uh, when you mentioned PTSD a minute ago, I, I was diagnosed with PTSD after I came uh, out of the military, and the doctors there were ready to treat me. They, um, I will say this for the, the VA, they're, they're overly helpful when it comes to that. Uh, and the idea is that... Um, I would say it'd be great that if you had something that you just needed to help you for a moment, mm -hmm. but you didn't need something that would zone you out all the time yeah. because uh, that happened to me. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that PTSD not only comes from my experience in the military, but uh, law enforcement experiences mm -hmm. that uh, quite frankly, there's times that I would have night terrors. Mm -hmm. And um, I spoke with a minister friend, Dr. Don Konoblich, out in Washington State, who is also a psychologist, and I, I told him what was happening in my dreams, that I'd wake up in the corner in a suitcase, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, or I would, uh, I'd be trying to hide under the bed because I was reliving experiences mm -hmm. that at the moment, in order to survive, I would push back what was going on around me, what I could see, mm -hmm. hear, what I could smell, and uh, I could smell certain scents and it would put my mind back to where I was at before. Well, you think about young mothers who have uh, have children, and sometimes, you know, one right after another, and there's postpartum issues, mm -hmm. and I'm sure depression is one of the mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that they face with that. But even even the elderly, the, I think that this COVID thing mm -hmm. made them afraid. It made them uh, not want to let anyone come in their house. Yeah. And and I know some who have never stopped wearing their mask. Right, yeah. And so... Um, well, and it's made pastoring... That, that's been one of the weird parts about when I started pastoring. I wasn't planning on being a pastor. Um, so there wasn't a whole lot of prep time. But in my mind, I thought, well, I know what a pastor does. But then when COVID happened, visiting people, that changed. Yeah. And, and like I said, there's people still... I, I'll often, no, don't come, don't yeah, come. Yeah, don't come. Um, or, you know, hospitals even now sometimes have, it can be kind of tricky to get around regulation yeah. and stuff like that. And 
Everything about the way we ministered had to change. And if a pastor has low self-esteem, mm -hmm. one of the last things they need is somebody to tell them, yeah. don't come. Don't come to my house. Because yeah. that's where they find their value yeah. in being that minister who gives you mm -hmm. that, that special touch. Right. So, so I think that's very important to understand that. But now God has given you some unique perspective, and mm -hmm. I've kind of walked through this with you for a while. Mm -hmm. and, and by that, I mean listening to your observations, your revelations, and... Uh, I think that what you have, uh, uh, what you have explored, would be a great help to those that are watching the podcast today. Would you like to share with them? Sure. So there's there's two things I always come back to when I have people come to me and they feel a lot of shame and condemnation about their their struggles. Um, and I will say this from the outset: I think one of the problems with Christians is that we feel the need to have an answer for everything. Um, and the problem is that we don't let the Holy Spirit give us the answer. Right. Sometimes the Holy Spirit's answer to you will be shut your mouth and stop talking. <laughs> and if we would listen to him more often and learn what it is when someone's hurting, sometimes they just need you to sit with them. Right. And they don't need you to say anything and they don't need you to give them a scripture and they don't need you to, they never need you to beat them over the head with the yeah. Bible. And it's and, the ministry of presence. Right. And so I think that's one of our issues. The other issue that probably some people take umbrage with, but that's okay, is sometimes we are so proud of our ignorance yeah. that we want to act like, especially, especially those of us in Pentecostal uh, faith, sometimes we want to act like it is a badge of honor. I'm not going to listen. I, I'm, I'm so holy, I'm not even going to take in that information. I'm not going to take in that knowledge. <laughs> That's not holiness, that's stupidity. Well, and it's yeah. not helpful to people who are hurting and who they need us to, to be knowledgeable about what we're talking about. Now, mm -hmm. are there times that the world will say something that we don't agree with and the medical community says something we don't agree with? Sure, there is. But you should be discerning, and discerning doesn't mean I've, I've just closed off my ear. Discernment means I've taken the information and I've been able to properly assign what is true and what is not. And let me ask you a question. You say discernment. Yeah. Uh, now, what you said about ignorance and stupidity, I've mm -hmm. always said ignorance just means you don't know something. Right. But stupidity is you can know and you refuse to know. That's, right. That's the true definition. Yeah. But uh, you, you speak about discernment, and, and I agree with you 100%. But how does one develop discernment? Mm -hmm. How does that come? Mm -hmm. I mean, is it... Uh, I, I know that it's it's a gift that, that comes from the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. but what would you say the pathway to uh, increasing your discernment is? You have to know the voice of God. Right. And you have to know the voice for yourself. I also think an important key to discernment that people people don't always get is honesty when you missed it. Yeah. Um, something that I work with, I, I have several women that I'm mentoring right now. We have weekly times together, and I'm, I'm guiding them through a discipleship program. And one of the things that I will do with them, there are plenty of times I've got the answer for them and I won't give it to them. Right. But I wait and I let them come up with some thoughts and, and when they're right about a situation or whatever it is, I always make it a point to say, yes, you are right about this. This is how I know you're right because I'm giving them a check to right. know when I was right, this is what it felt like. I will equally, when they're wrong, correct yeah. them right. and say, this is... This is where you miss the mark. You correct them in love, though. I correct them in love, right. and I just simply say, 
okay, now this is, this is how you would have known that wasn't right if you had taken in all the pieces together. Right. Um, and a lot of times, unless it's something that's just going to totally derail them, I'll let them walk into something knowing, okay, this may not work out perfectly. And that right? really takes patience, doesn't it? Right. And so, but I do that because I want them, again, to have the check to know, oh, that feeling I had was actually telling me something's not right, but I didn't listen to Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And so I think it's equal parts knowing God's voice for yourself and also accepting wisdom, accepting mm -hmm. rebuke when it has to come so that you learn the difference. What was God? What was my feeling? That's really important. I heard um, a quote today, uh, Dr. John Deloney. He's on the uh, Dave Ramsey Network, and uh, he's a a psychologist, I, I believe, and he was talking to a woman and he said, he said, feelings are not truth tellers, but that feelings are alarms. Uh -huh. And he's saying that when you have a feeling that's trying to get your attention, but you can't trust that that feeling is going to tell you the truth about everything. Right. Okay. So when you're talking about mental health, um, I think it's a really important distinction to have. Mm. This is where I think we've messed up in that sense of saying, uh, we're, we're much freer with people to say go to the oncologist than to go to the psychologist right. or the psychiatrist, right? And I think part of it's because we're confused and we think it's all about feelings. Mm -hmm. It's not all about feelings. Right. People who have depression, when I had depression um, at one point, well, they end up saying it was anxiety, but I had, back in the day, they would have said a breakdown. You just you know? really hurt. Well, uh, well, yeah, nervous. But, but what we call it a major depressive episode yeah. now. But back in the day, right, it was a nervous they would just wait till you drilled yourself into the ground and then have the, <laughs> the right. hospital can get you. Um, but I think part of the issue is that, like in, in my situation, by the time I get to the doctor, they draw my blood and I've got no vitamin E uh -huh. and the, the chemistry was truly off in my brain. But we act like depression and anxiety, that those are just feelings that you're having. No, they're not. Something's really occurring in, right. your, in your mind. And if it's a real physical issue, then that's not something you're going to change your pattern of thinking and it's going to undo it. Right. And this is what I always come back to when, when people come to me and they're experiencing that shame and that guilt. And Well, if I was more spiritual, if I had more faith, if I was a better Christian, I'd take them to two, two men that I always want to point out. And I'm going to go in the New Testament first to Paul. So Paul is talking, this is the uh, second letter to the Corinthians, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even at life. Mm -hmm. For If you're asking me, despairing at life is as much depression as you can get. That's right. Um, there's always the question of, is it spiritual or is it physical? It's both. Right. The devil takes advantage wherever he can. Sure. So if you have a physical issue, for instance, your vitamin E is off, your serotonin, your dopamine, all of the things, if they're off, the devil will find the way to work the way in. The issue is that the church has done the devil's job for him. Mm. And people have the physical issue, and we're the one who weaves ourselves in, and we start condemning people for something that's not their fault. Right. Um, is it spiritual? Yes. Mm -hmm. Because I believe oppression is from the devil. Right. I believe oppression is a real thing, but it's him taking advantage of something that's going on in your body and in your mind. I just, 
at 37 years old, I just got diagnosed with ADHD. And I always had this joke. I said I had adult onset ADHD that I caught from my husband. Um, but when I look back over my life, no, I've always had it. I, I had it the whole time. But when I was growing up, every boy who was rambunctious needed to be a zombie, and girls just talked too much. Right. And um, the truth is, I look so much of my life makes sense. When I look back over it, that it all falls straight into line. This is what it's been the whole well, time. Having, having been a witness to your whole life, <laughs> <laughs> can we get a witness on this? Yes. Uh, I, I see it as, as I've uh, gained more education and as mm -hmm. I have paid more attention. Yeah. I, I, have, I can look back over your life and see moments that that's what was going on. Yeah. But, but here I was. Here, here's a guy that had, you know, had gone through uh, college and seminary. Mm -hmm. And I was missing the signs because yeah. I didn't know anything about that. Right. I didn't know yeah. anything. I didn't had it no understanding. Yeah. Everything was, praise God, just get to the altar and everything yeah. will be all right. Yeah. But there was so much tied in with that, which is just my brain is literally different. So many pieces are tied in with it that I thought were character flaws the entire time. Mm -hmm. And now that I know what it is, I can look back and I can say, Okay, but how did God get glory? Yeah. Because true. there are pieces that God gets glory through. Right. For, for, I mean, for sure. Uh, people, your testimony alone. Well, yeah, your testimony, but also God speaks to me differently right. than he does other people. I'm able to hold several viewpoints and several thoughts at one point. You know, and so I think, <laughs> which I think is a gift, maybe not everybody does. Well, someone once said that the... I, the um, the definition of a first-rate intelligence mm -hmm. is the ability to hold two opinions, opposing opinions at once, yeah. and still be able to function. Yeah. And so I look at what Paul says here. He said, we despaired at life. And I always share that with people who are struggling. I say, do you think the Apostle Paul didn't have enough faith? Hmm. Do you think the Apostle Paul was not a good Christian? He took the gospel, literally, he took that last leg of what Jesus promised, and he ran with it. Right. You cannot convince me that Paul was not a good Christian because he despaired at life. Right. And of course he did when you look at the life that he lived. And that's the other piece is that people are struggling in our churches with depression, anxiety, PTSD. If we took the time to talk to them, right. it might make a lot of sense. That was one of, the, one of the greatest things for me when I was diagnosed with it mm -hmm. was that um, I went to a counselor. And it was kind of interesting because this guy, I think he was more nutty than I was at the time. If I can use that, <laughs> if I can use that phrase, he put a chair in the middle of the room. Mm -hmm. He said, now think back to those traumatic moments that you, you've expressed to me. And he said, now scream at the chair. I said, what? Yeah. He said, scream how you feel to the chair. Yeah. Address this chair how you feel. And I said, that's crazy. Yeah. He said, no, just do as I say. I said, I, I can't. He said, you mean you won't? I said, absolutely. <laughs> I'm out of here. Goodbye. Yeah. And I suffered for a little while longer because of his, uh, what I think was, it may, be, it may be that that is a tactic that will work in some mm -hmm. cases, but I wasn't without my mental faculties. Yeah. I was suffering from, uh, from events that had been suppressed or had been moved to the back of my mm -hmm. mind so that I could deal with the trauma in front of me. Right. And then at night, mm -hmm. when I was not on guard to every thought and everything, 
those things that were back there, like a pressure valve would come mm -hmm. out. Yeah. But you're saying, um, I can see where Paul could have PTSD. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can I've see. I've had a lot of questions about Paul. When Paul <laughs> talks about his the thorn in his side, and he sure. said, and I kept praying for God, and, and, and God didn't take it because God had a plan My for it. My grace is sufficient. I, I've got some thoughts on what Paul's multiple diagnoses might be if he was around today. Yeah. But they were all things that are different in Paul that made him usable to God. Right. God still had a plan for him, and it was not that um, he wasn't, a good enough Christian, and that's why he despaired at life. But, but what I'm saying is, if you know what Paul went through, well, yeah, would you not despair at life if you were beaten more times than you can count and shipwrecked and, and imprisoned and all of these things? I think our error in the church is we don't sit down and talk to people. I think you're right. If I knew your story, it might make perfect sense why that's the struggle that you're having, and then I can help you without condemnation right. and without... Shame. And the one other thing I want to say before we went, I said I had somebody in the New Testament and the Old, so I want to share this about the Old Testament. If you ask me... This is where I was hoping you'd get to. Yeah. Well, this is where I, I think is a good, good spot for us to land. My favorite figure in the Bible, the one, if you say, who do you relate to? You know, people always play that. Who do you relate to in the Bible? And growing up, I always thought I had to pick a girl. So it was like, okay, yep. Yeah an adulteress, a, you know, prostitute or Jesus' mother. That's kind of where you got left. But as I've gotten older, I've, I've opened up my thought a little bit on this, and I relate to Elijah more than anybody else in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And you say, wow, you really think highly of yourself, you know, the, the guy who was, um, who was doing miracles and who was calling fire. I relate to him in that uh, God has given me ability to just say what has to be said right. and, and do that, but mostly... I believe he struggled with depression, and I know that struggle. And I actually think a lot of people with that type of gift have that struggle. Yeah, and they, they miss this major element mm -hmm. to Elijah's life mm -hmm. uh, when they study Elijah. Yeah, so Elijah calls down fire from heaven, right? Right. Um, he also had it, it was put on him by the king that it was his fault that there was a drought. No doubt lots of people died. So he's this unfair blame is put onto him. Um, he has to suppress all of his emotions to kill hundreds of, of false prophets. And let's recognize, he, these are probably people he knew. Yeah. He knew their families, and he, he had their blood on his robes. There are certain gifts that I think require a, a scripture, or not scripture, a prayer my mentor taught me to pray in many situations was, Holy Spirit, hold my emotions. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people think I act very, um, I, I made the joke, I'm not a robot, and I'm not. But there are times that I have to hold my emotions because if you're in front of me and God's told me to say something very, very hard that you have to hear, I can't afford to be caught up in, well, what's the outcome of our friendship going to be? Well, then you have to obey God. Right. And so the Lord had, I can't have a fear of man in me at all. But it doesn't mean I don't have the emotions. It means at some point they all come out. And when they come out, it's strong. I think that's what happens to Elijah. Elijah calls down fire from heaven. He has to suppress these feelings for a time. He's got to follow through on the law and kill all these prophets. And then, and then he gets a note passed to him by this girl, Jezebel. Right. And she says, he's going to be dead. She says, may the gods do with me. 
And Jezebel was not Jezebel because she wore a lot of makeup. No. No, that's, that's a whole that's, other story. That's a whole other story, but that's what my generation yeah. grew up. But you got something yeah. deeper. So Jezebel sends this note. She says, I, you know, I'm going uh, to make sure that you are dead if, if by this time tomorrow, is what she says. We're in 1 Kings 19. And I think this passage is so very important, especially if you're ministering to someone who is in a dark time, or you are in one yourself. It says, verse 3, when he saw that, meaning the message that was sent, he arose and ran for his life, and he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. Mm -hmm. And he said, it's enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. If that's not a suicidal ideation, I don't know what is. Mm -hmm. uh, probably if he'd had the means, he, he might have made a choice there. Right. Um, but he's out in the wilderness, and so he says, God, just let me die. I, most people I know struggle with depression for a length of time. have had that moment, God, yeah. just let me die. I don't want to kill myself, but God, let me die. Yeah. That's a normal feeling in, in that moment. Uh, in this, uh, and in this moment that you're in, I want to uh, call attention to something. Mm -hmm. um, when Jezebel sent this note, mm -hmm. I'm going to kill you, mm -hmm. um, if, if Elijah would have paid attention to that, mm -hmm. the, the fear, the threat of imminent danger, knowing that he's just been on the mountaintop with God, right. and now here he finds himself coming down, mm -hmm. and she says, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. I'm going to take your life. Yeah. And if how does she say it? By the end of the day? She says, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow. It, that's an excellent thought. Yeah. And some, I think, I, I don't want to misquote it, but I'm almost sure it was Pastor Landon Schott who pointed this out. She didn't send an assassin. Right. She sent a messenger. She sent a, yeah. And how often is that how the devil works? Yeah. He, he's got to get in your head. He wants you to be your own worst enemy. Right. Right? So anyways... He goes under this broom tree, and he lays down, and he sleeps, and then an angel comes and says, Arise and eat. The angel does not condemn. Right. The angel, it's not, why are you feeling sorry for yourself? It's not kicking him while he's down. It's not, why do you not have enough faith, Elijah? He had enough faith to resurrect somebody right. a couple chapters before. Right. That doesn't happen. Instead, what the angel says is, Get up and eat. And then he looked. And there by his head was a cake baked on coals, a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. And this is so important. If we're going to do the work of the Lord as the church, when people are hurting, right. are we the one there with them providing what they need? Right. I think it would be a really good practice when somebody says to us, I am depressed. A good question is, are you sleeping well? Are mm -hmm. you eating? Are you taking care of yourself? Yeah. And if the answer is no, okay, well, here's what I'm going to do to help you. Not what can I do. I'm going to do this now to help you. Right. Um, because that's what that angel did, and it was so important. Because, again, it's a physical connection between what we're feeling mentally. And your mind can't heal if your body's not well. Right. And so, again, stop condemning people and shaming them and right. see how you can help them. So the angel of the Lord comes back, second time touches them, arise and eat, because uh, he had slept again. And then this verse is important because the journey is too great for you. 
he arose, ate and drank. He went in the, that strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And he went into a cave, and the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah answers, I love the honesty how he answers back. I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I'm alone left. Mm -hmm. And they seek to take my life. The, the really great thing is that that was not true. Yeah. Your mind is lying to you. Mm -hmm. When you're depressed, your mind is lying to you. Right. When you feel hopeless, your mind is lying. When you feel like the world would be better without me, that's a lie. The devil is projecting that in your mind. That even Elijah was susceptible to experience the lie. Well, how do I know that that's untrue? I know that's untrue because God actually speaks with Elijah. And the conclusion, he goes into all this, this other stuff, but when he instruction to him, but the last thing he says, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed their, bowed knees. their knees. When you're depressed and it's all dark, you can feel so alone and feel like I'm the only one. And again, let's come back to the church. We feel that way because we've not given people permission to be honest about how they feel. Right. Because I can almost promise you, if you're sitting in a church of 30 people and you, you say, Lindsay, I am struggling with depression. If you're in a church of 30 people, I can almost guarantee you there are three or four other people in the room with the exact same feeling. Absolutely. But you don't know it because they're covering up, they're masking it because they're feeling the shame and they're feeling the guilt. And something I, I hear people say often is it's like they feel like they've let God down. Um, because they can't find the good, and they can't focus on the good. Again, I say, even Elijah, who had the, the power and the boldness and the strength to do all that he did, he even struggled with the lies of the enemy in his ear. So he gets up, he, he eats that food, he goes, takes him 40 days to get up to the mountain. And I think, I think that's, uh, that's important, too, to know. Yeah. That was a long journey. Right. That was over a month long he had to walk. But the Lord carried him in that strength. Right. The Lord could have transported him to that mountain. The Lord could have come down to where he was. The Lord could have healed the depression when he ate that food. And it could have been over with right then. But he had to go on this journey to go and be with the Lord, to go speak with the Lord. I believe that that journey was important because it was emptying Elijah of Elijah right. so he could stand before God. So I, this is how I would like to leave it with you. If you are struggling, or if you need the words to minister to somebody who is struggling, I always want to point this out to people. The presence of a long journey is not the absence of a faithful God. You say, Lindsay, I prayed and it's not gone away. Okay. That doesn't mean you're not good at praying. And it certainly doesn't mean that God didn't hear you or that he doesn't love you. It simply means right now you're on a journey. Yes, it is a difficult journey. But in the end, I believe that God is preparing you to go into depths with him that you've not experienced before. And maybe this is a piece you have to go through. Don't lose the faith. Don't give up. Keep on walking. Even if it's a snail's pace or a prophet's pace. Right? It's a good word. Just yeah. keep walking. I did the math one time. I think it's like five miles a day he would have had to mm. walk. It's okay, just keep walking. And to the church, I say, don't let people walk that journey alone. And, and at five days for, or five miles for a day,
Like that, that means 200 days, right? It's, 40 days? It's 40 days, yeah. Yeah, 40 days and five miles a day. Yeah, so, so 200 miles. 200 miles. Yeah. That's why I, I, the way you looked at me made me <laughs> second guess my math yeah. in my head there. I believe that's right. I believe that's the math on it if you, if you, if you do the math. I don't have it in front of you, but it's something along those lines. It was several miles a day. How exhausting. Mm -hmm. And again, you're still covered in the blood of guys that you knew. Yeah, that's right. I mean, think about that. He gets down. He gets down to pray. You know, and the Bible talks about him, him praying down with his head between his knees. Right. His face was surrounded by the blood of false prophets. My goodness. What a thought. How would that not affect you yeah. and affect you mentally and 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 the the death of a nation on your back, even though you're doing God's will? Again, we've got to learn to put ourselves in other people's shoes and to sit down and talk to them. We, we also make a mistake, I think, in church. We, we get too uh, big for our britches sometimes. <laughs> we, get, uh, uh, we have a saying down here about you know, getting above your raising. Yeah, don't get above your raising. I think that's the other side of that where I said we need to have knowledge and understanding. We need to study. We need to study God's Word primarily. Um, but we should also take the time to understand the world that we live in. But the other side of that is if you spend all your time in those studies and you don't take the time to get to know people, I, I think I said it recently, if you have a head full of Bible knowledge but a heart of bitterness, hate comes out of your mouth. That's true. And the cure for, for that is to talk to people. Right. Jesus shared the truth in love because he had sat down with people and he talked with them. Mm -hmm. And I think that would cure so much of what we're facing in the churches. I think it would finally blow this stigma away that, that some of us are trying to chip away at little by little. Um, and so I do just, as we're closing, I would like to say, I think we'll probably pray here. Yeah. But I want to say, um, if you are listening to this or if you're watching and you're having these struggles, um, he's, he is much more, uh, you have a, a much broader resume, a longer resume than I for sure. Um, but... He has openly shared about PTSD. He has shared about his struggles. Um, and we're both spirit-filled people. We're both preachers. Uh, and these are things I, I want to point out we've experienced while in the ministry. Um, I've had experiences with anxiety, with depression, with um, now, now that I know it was ADHD the whole time. Um, that as well, if you're listening and you need someone to talk to or to pray with, I think we're, we both would make ourselves available uh, if we can help you. Um, and to talk with you. And if you're a minister and you say, wow, I really want some resources, please reach out to us. Let us let us help you help the people that God has brought to you. Would it be okay if I prayed the prayer? Sure, I think that's a great idea. All right. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness, your mercy, and your love, Lord. God, I thank you that you have redeemed our lives from the pit, put our feet on a firm foundation, and you have established our goings. Lord, I thank you that you are the creator and that we know that as you created us, Lord, you never took your eyes off of us as you made us in the womb, Lord. The word says that you created us in utter seclusion. Lord, that tells me you do your best work in the dark. That same psalm goes on to say, Psalm 139, it says that light and darkness are the same to you.
And Lord, if light and darkness are the same to you, the psalmist said, I tried to hide myself in the dark, but it didn't make a difference. And Lord, so right now I pray for those who feel they're in a very dark place. I thank you that God, light and dark are the same to you, that you can go and pull them out of that darkness. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling and they say, I've, I've been trying so hard and I've prayed so long and nothing has changed, Lord God. Father, I do pray for a complete healing. Lord, I pray for a regulation of chemistry in minds. Lord, I pray for dopamine and serotonin and Lord God, to return for vitamin E to be the way that it should, God, for every piece of chemistry to go back into proper order as you designed for it to be. Lord, I pray for those who are caregivers of people who are hurting. Lord, give them patience. Give them strength. Lord, give them grace like they've never had before. Father, help them to see that person the way that you see them. I come against the enemy who lies. He projects. He puts things into our minds that are not true. Lord, I pray that you would bind that mouth, Lord, yes. of his. Amen. He is the father of all lies, and the truth yes. is not in him. Amen. So, Lord, give us the discernment to know the difference. Let us not accept the lies when they're spoken, and certainly let us never repeat the lies that the devil has spoken. Lord, I pray that we would have the healing balm that has to be applied to lives that are hurting. Lord, in all things, I pray that you are glorified, that your church is edified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, let me say one final thing as we close today. Um, I appreciate your time, Pastor, today, and I appreciate you sharing your heart. Back when I was, I mentioned about the PTSD, and when I went to the psychiatrist or psychologist at the VA, I was also serving as a pastor. Mm -hmm pastor of a small church and it only made things worse i wish now mm -hmm. i would have simply asked to talk to someone else yeah it would have probably made my journey a little easier mm -hmm. if i had just asked for someone who's like i said maybe what he did was a tool yeah it wasn't a tool that worked on me yeah and so um be be sure to reach out to someone feel like you're getting bad information, don't keep taking it from the same place. Mm -hmm. Seek out those who are spirit-filled. And don't close off. If, if you get the bad information, that doesn't mean it's all going to be bad. That's, that's Ask right. the Lord to guide you, the person who has the right. That, that is, that's you. exactly right. And that's, that's where it comes down to discernment, knowing the difference. So um, thank you as we come to a close. We're so appreciative of you joining us. And um, we look forward to these weekly podcast and uh, you can contact us at uh, the Spring Street Church of God of Prophecy 1001 West Spring Street Lebanon Tennessee and he needs help with the zip code 37087 or by um, 370 yeah 87 yeah here <laughs> or by email at uh, you can email me Lindsay McKinley yeah. L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-M-C-K-I-N-L-E-Y at iCloud.com so thank you so much for your time. I speak a blessing over you today. I pray that the God of all things would give you life, peace, and abundance. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 